0: Welcome to the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies at Oxford Brookes University. Today's Lunchtime Digital Seminar, on the 24th of February 2010, is titled Crowdsourcing and Digital Collections. The talk is given by Dr Stuart Lee, who is the Director of Computing Systems and Services at Oxford University. The talk is introduced by lecturer Nicola Timbrell really pleased to welcome uh, Stuart Lee here, Dr. Stuart Lee, um, uh, who has some very, uh, uh, lots of names, uh, lots of positions within the university down, down the road. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you can see he can read because he's a reader of e-learning and digital libraries, so he spends a lot of time doing that. But what he, He's very well known to me and for many of the people in this room. Uh, for is his uh, Great War archive, and um, some of us saw it right at the beginning when it was a lovely hypercard stack mm-hmm. um, inspired by is it Pat Connor? Pat Conner, yeah. Yeah, it was, isn't it? Yeah, and the Beowulf project that was on the no, hypercard right. then. So that was in the 1990s, early 1990s, was it, yeah. Stuart? Yeah. But you'll see that it's grown. It's got some funding, and it's uh, been used in teaching all over the place. At, uh, I'll leave it over to um, Stuart to actually introduce it to me. Thanks Nick. Uh, hello everyone and um, it's nice to know I'm from the university down the road, is that <laughs> what we're called? <laughs> <laughs> down the hill, them lot, those weirdos. And yeah, I am a, I've, I've joked I'm the first reader in e-learning digital libraries at Oxford and I know that will be the last because no one will ever have heard of e-learning digital libraries. I also run the computing services down there and um, teach English literature, so it's a bit of a, a mess. and what I was asked to talk to you about was this project to do with um, First World War literature and um, history collections and things like that, which I'm not going to go too much into the collections, but more sort of try and talk to you about what we did and how this is sort of like beginning to sort of shape sort of future activities. Um, and Nick told me, and I've, I worked with her many years ago, and Caroline, and if you, you don't cross Nick. So she said I had to do something about concept to proposal, whatever that means, running the project, what happened, and exit strategies and things like that. So I will get through those boring bits uh, to <laughs> begin with. So, so it was a project. We ran this project for two years, um, 2007 to 2009. Um, and you know where do projects come from? Oh, I don't want to put two extra... I obviously turn Spanish at this point. But anyway, there's two question marks in there. And uh, where, it's an interesting point. Where do all these projects, these websites come from that people work on? Um, the first thing to say is based on previous work. So uh, many years ago, right, 1991, I did a hypercard stack, which you won't remember, but it was a hypertext application on the Mac, which was fantastic. And then in uh, '96 to '98, I did a two-year website project on a poet called Wilfred Owen. Uh, and then we got a load of money to sort of build on that. So it's previous work. It's also what, what's basically happening you know, in, the, in the sector, the types of things you can tie into. But most importantly, funding opportunities. That's what drives most projects. Where does the money come from? Because no university has really any money to put out on kind of like funky projects at the moment. So you have to look at what's coming out um, from the people who fund things. And the one where we got the money from was from what we call JISC, which is the Joint Information Systems Committee. And that funds um, the university backbone network for the entire country that's how you get on to email and so on and loads of other projects to do with it in teaching and learning so we got some money from them and they released a load of money to do digitization to pay money pay people to go and take nice pictures of nice things um, so that's what we bid for and we ended up with a project called the first World war poetry digital archive which i'll briefly show and then this thing called the great war archive which that really was just a paragraph in the bid of about a twelve-page document, and it suddenly kind of took over, which is not what the plan was. So when you write a bid, this is this is the boring thing to put in your thesis. Um, what do you have to do? You have to say what your bid's going to do, um, how it ties in with the call. You have to say what you're going to deliver. You have to give costing, say who's going to manage it, risk assessment. If it all goes belly up, how do you get out of it? Increasingly, copyright statements. So you've got the right to photograph these things, and then what's called an exit strategy, when the money runs out, what happens to your project after that, because for the most part, universities are pretty appalling at that, they just build these things and then let them happen. Right, so what did we do? Well, this is the type of thing we were interested in, Um, if you don't know, that's a poet called Wilfred Owen, and that's a manuscript, so this is his handwriting of a particular poem, um, which is quite a famous poem taught in schools. And we're interested in this because these items survive in various libraries and museums around the world, not just about him. And um, for teaching purposes, it's quite handy to sort of show a student who's studying poetry for the first time that, look, you don't just type it out and it's done, you cross out and you make changes. So it was showing the creative process of a writer. So, partly that, partly the fact that these are in cabinets in the British Library or down in the English Faculty Library, and you, you can't get access to them. Um, Whereas, you know, it's a new way of teaching. It's a new way of bringing this stuff together. So we didn't just do him when we got the money. We did a lot of other poets. Uh, Some of you, you may recognise these, but don't worry if you don't. The important thing to point out is that this isn't all in one big box somewhere in one country. So we were dealing with a lot of these copyright things, a lot of places around the country and around the world, ringing up libraries and collections and saying, can we have images of your manuscripts and so on and then also because the web's multimedia we did photographs audio film and other things there which we put on the website and the bottom line was everything we do has to be available free of charge for teachers to use in universities and schools anywhere in the world and we came up with all kinds of stuff I mean manuscripts photographs film clips uh, handwritten diaries and so on and so on and so forth what we, the way we got the money, um, and should, we've got £440,000 for two years, which is quite a lot, but you start to work out that a person, you hire a person, they cost about £50,000 per annum. You may not think, no, no one gets paid £50,000 we you have to pay national insurance and all that on top. And then each person, you then usually add about 46% of the staff cost on um, for overheads, lighting and so on. So it, it soon eats, eats up. Um. And we ended up with about 16,000 items, which isn't really that much for the money, because you'll see a lot of projects where they'll take bulk loads of journals and stuff and just cut off the spine, shove them in a machine, and it just scans them and scans them and scans them. So they'll get a lot more throughput. But we're dealing with very, very rare items here, um, which you have to be handled with difficulty. But I think the reason we got the money was because we then said we're going to build educational resources on top of that. And... That's what just we're interested in, how you can get this stuff into schools and universities and lifelong learning and all the various buzz things, um, which I will show you when we go there. And the other thing which, well I mean, it's kind of obvious now, everyone does it, but at the time when we wrote the bid, which was 2006, we started talking about bringing in all the other things which are freely available, so um, RSSV Delicious, you know, these types of things which you're well aware of, which we used for a variety of purposes. Um, what we found out actually we'll, we'll talk about some of these items but youtube twitter facebook they're really good for getting people interested in your project and building up communities outside of that they're not we didn't find them particularly good as teaching tools but you can build up a community on facebook and you can build up followers on twitter very very quickly and we analyzed the stats coming through to our website and that's where mainly a lot of people were coming from and that's kind of led to some interesting discussions down the road um, about how people can use these tools to sort of increase the impact of research projects and things like that. So we're working a lot of that. Um, and all this other, I'll talk about Second Life in a second. So let's just go to the web. No, not that one. OK, so I don't know if you can read that, but anyway, it came out. So we had a, an archive and um, you can search it so you can just do a straightforward keyword searching. We've got an advanced search in there, but no one uses advanced search. No one uses advanced search in anything. So just everyone's from Google, they just want to stick in a word. So anyway, and RSS feeds, that sort of thing. And you can then browse or go down you go to the collections. You could click on one of those people and start browsing and looking at the manuscripts. And then we redesigned this, because education is quite an interesting thing. Um, we just listed everything we had up there to begin with but then we did a lot of analysis with teachers and what you need to do is segment it into the key stages so you can go to teachers and it's resources directly for teachers to just download and use in their classroom school students as we go for them um, as you can see what they want to know is I'm at key stage four or a key stage five what have you got for me they can go in and, and search everything else but those are the types of things we had and go to key stage four and try and explain some of these things. Um, so we, we did a mixture of things you could put on the web that teachers could use and students could use. And I, I can't tell you which is the most popular type of activity, but I'll just tell you about them. So there's your standard web-based tutorial, looking at pages, browsing around, getting information, reading them. It's a pretty standard website usually with some interactive activity in there, and there's a, there's a couple there. The other thing we did was pathways. So we made a tool which allowed you to go through the collection and bookmark something and then write something about it. So if I show you this, it works. Okay, so on the left is what the teachers put in, and then there's something from the archive, which I guess is a picture of the Western Front or something like that. and then there are at least 12 steps in that. You click, and then it tells you to do something. So So an open source tool which we made, which we'd actually made 10 years ago, but we redesigned it, and that's now available for anyone to use as an open source tool. And that really goes back way into theory. If you know your hypertext theory, you know a guy called Vannevar Bush. He came up with that theory in the 40s, and a lot of projects in the 90s when they were building these big, big collections of stuff They didn't just say stick a search thing on the top and good luck. It's like just saying, here's a library, go in the door and good luck. You know, we do give people reading lists. We do give people directions. So this is, that's that type of idea there. Um, Let's go back. Oops. Key stage four. Other thing, we did a lot of films because kids like to watch films. So we actually went out there and filmed trenches and things and they're all up and they're all up on YouTube and they're proving incredibly popular in their podcasts and you get them in iTunes you, and that sort of thing. And the other thing which I don't think there's an example here is bundles. It's really, it really sounds really really dull but what teachers want is to go click download, here's a PowerPoint presentation and here's all the images and things and I can just run with it for key stage three, stage four. Uh, so we made these, uh, and then we thought, right, well, we'll get a load of teachers in a room for two days, and we'll give them some food, and we'll pay them for a little room uh, to come in Oxford, and they were thrilled by this, so they made a lot more for us, so that's how you get cheap labour. Um, <laughs> but it, no, seriously, well, teachers, might they know what they want, and they teach this stuff, and there's some fantastic stuff made by teachers in there as well, which people just download. And we did. We played around with a lot of other things. I don't know if we're on the Get Creative. Uh, there's the online pass. We used MIT's Timelines facility. So you can get a timeline of the first war and then impose over it a timeline of the life of a poet and you can just browse around that. That's quite easy. You can upload your own timeline into it using a CSV. We use things like Flickr. We made mind maps using Tuft University's VUE tool, which is free and it's really quite good for doing spatial awareness of collections because we've moved so far away well should we should have moved from just typing in a search and getting a load of stuff back um well some of us have it anyway so uh we had a bit of money left and we thought we'd play with second life um which is kind of a bit dodgy really uh well, actually, it worked well. Um, so what we had, we had an island on Second Life, and we just thought, well, how can you? We've done, we've gone as far as we can with Flickr and YouTube and all that, and we've used the Web two tools to expose collections. Maybe we could take it to the next level and expose online collections in a three D environment. So what we built was, and you can go and have a look and wander around it. Is basically, it's a you go in a training camp, and then you go through the trench system and you get closer and closer to a battle and then you get out and there's a learning resource and you can see items from the collection in there um, and it was kind of like this is, this is a bit dodgy really because 40 million people died here and you know how do you handle this but I think it works actually well but what I, I had no idea this would happen that um, uh, I think with this, people then turn this into an art form so they're going in to this second life area and making pictures and making snapshots. So we're now getting a Flickr site. There's not that many there, but it's growing all the time, of um, people who are t- making art out of what we did. So it's very odd. You just Things you just do, and you just don't realize how they're going to happen. OK, so for the techie boring people, <laughs> use a web front end. You basically take your digital object, film, whatever, image, etc. you just put your metadata. And that's linked to the objects. And then you have your digitized collection. Your metadata has to be in the standards. You'd expect Dublin Core TEI, and we output it to something called WorldCat. And um, all this is held in a CMS system called ContentDM, which isn't the best, but it did what we wanted, as off the shelf. And it worked. And then we put these teaching resources there. So that's your kind of architecture, which you can ask me about in a second, if you really want okay so then the great war archive that was the first world war poetry archive um okay so the problem with these projects which have been going 20 years now and i've been involved in quite a few is that what you tend to do is you go out and you go to a big library or a museum and you say show me your rare collections and you take pictures of them um, and then you put them on the web and you do all kinds of things so Yes, it's rare, unique content, and it's held by the major collections. But you're kind of photographing the things the major collections had, and they tell you which ones people want to see. So then you photograph the ones people want to see in the past, and then they see them again, and then you just go on and on and on and on and on and on, and it becomes very complicated. You're cataloguing these, to the cows come home, and it costs a lot of money. So you, you tend to look at things again and again and again and again, and the same item if you've ever seen anything on the First World War, you will have seen a film clip of British soldiers walking across barbed wire, um, which is false, because the cameraman would have been shot, so they've staged that. You will see another film clip of them getting out of a trench, which is again is false, and you will have seen a series of images, a lot of which everyone has seen, but there's so much more out there. Um, And, sorry, uh, the other thing is that it costs a lot of money. This is standard digitization, big camera, Books, dude, computer, <laughs> lighting, camera, action. Um, which I don't know about you, but I don't have one of these at home. I don't have him either. But I don't have any of this at home, <laughs> which really isn't the future. And th- the future is more what we thought was about community collection. So we came up with this idea. Um, as I said, it was a paragraph in the text. And we said, Hey, look, there's loads of people in Britain who've got stuff to do with the First World War sitting in their attics. Um, why don't they go out and take pictures of them and give them to us for free? I'm sure they will, and we don't have to do anything. And we just sit back and, and wait. Uh, but that was the idea, uh, anyway. This <laughs> was <laughs> eh? over a coffee break. Yeah, it was over a coffee. Yeah, <laughs> that's sort of what was in the coffee. Um, so anyway, so that was what we said, and we thought this is this is this is cool. Let's do this, and but we did say we'll see if it works, okay? Um, so we're creation material owned by the public, digitised and catalogued. It doesn't cost us any money. We just let them do it. We'll, we'll just we'll just pass on all the work. Um, and we often talk about collaboration. There's pressure on Brooks as there is on the university down the road to cooperate with the public. So this all sounded jolly good. And they own the item, so they can just say, "There's the copyright. You can use it." Um, and if you want to read about this project a bit more in-depth and other things like it, then uh, there's an article or a report there by Chris Batt. So the only thing I'll say, there's never any new ideas in anything ever, ever. Um, and here is an example. This is, this is just near where I live, actually. Um, Hinksey. Yeah, that's right. So these are the Hinksey diggers. Um, this, was, this was this wacky idea by a very strange man called Ruskin down at the old university you had this idea that why don't we get the students to do something meaningful like build a road Um, and he got them all and they did it and they built this road um, just for free because they wanted to do it it was it was part of a community collaborative effort and my personal view is despite what the Daily Mail says that people are generally decent people and they're willing to do things for everyone else And if you think of another example, which kind of isn't a community collection, but it was, it was mass observation that happened in the 30s, just sampling on a grand scale, just odd things that happened in Britain, pub conversations, everything like that. So what I'm saying is, our idea wasn't new. It was thought, and the, the BBC will claim they thought we were first, they didn't, people in the 30s and in the 1890s did as well. So, we launched the Great War Archive, a community collection and we didn't have a clue what we were doing, but anyway, we did it. And it ran for three months, March to June. That was the collection time. We launched it on the uh, 90th anniversary of the Armistice, which was quite handy to do. And it was getting people all to put their stuff in. So we did sort of posters. It's a bit like a recruiting poster, and we sent them out to libraries around the country, um, a call to attics, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And what we did, we made a website where people could... Very simply, go to a website and say, I've got a picture, upload it, do a bit of cataloguing and say, you can use this. And that was it. And I think I've got the website. The website doesn't, isn't there anymore, but we thought, you know, you can catalog an item to death and librarians will do it happily. You could give them a picture and they'd be 10 years still cataloguing this thing. But well, we thought, well, that, no one uses that stuff in any case, but apart from that, in fact, you can't afford it. So title, date, location, that's all we asked, and they could write a story about the item they put in. And we also did all kinds of odd, odd other things. This was our guerrilla tactics. We made these little cards, and we left them in pubs and phone boxes around the country and things like that. So people were having their pint and pick up this card and go, "What?" Well, it wasn't that size, by the way, it was that size, the size of a Wrigley's chewing gum. They still make that. And what we also did, it was a bit like Antique Roadshow, we went round places around the country, these red dots, where Oxford, we started it, just tried it out. We went round these places and even went over to France and Belgium, and we opened the doors in a sort of room and the public came in with their things and we took pictures of them and scanned them in. Um, uh, it was it was fantastic. I mean, I, I should have been on TV. It was, actually, we were on TV, but anyway, that's by the vibe. But <laughs> what was what was yeah what, what was odd about this? Well, a lot of things were odd. We had to, we didn't know what the hell to he do. You know, we just thought they're going to pile in the door. What do we do? And we worked out raffle ticket systems, and it, anyway, it worked. And the worst things were that it was predominantly elderly people who came in with this material, and that they wanted to give us the stuff and leave it with us because they were absolutely certain this was all being thrown away, and it was. Some of it we found in skips. People had found dustmen came in with things they found. So there's this to make a general point, serious point. There's a vast wealth of historical material from this country, which is just getting chucked in the bin on a daily basis. And they'd often sit there, and you'd have to talk to them and tell them what they've actually brought in. Um, so it was all very pleasing. Um, we couldn't we, um, we couldn't go everywhere, so we made a little pack telling libraries how to do it. So the Orkneys did one, I think it was the Orkneys, and um, somewhere in Wales did one, and Blackburn. And we got loads and loads of stuff in. Uh, this is perhaps one of my favourites, um, this was, I'll tell you a story, so there's a Scottish soldier, he was um, I think from Glasgow and he was training just in a camp before he was sent out to France, um, just north of Glasgow, wherever. I can't remember it was, and the train when he got his um, orders to move out went through his home village and he just had a matchbox so he scribbled this note to his wife and kids and threw it out the window, and the person caught it and brought it to his wife and kids. Um, And that was it. He went out and was shot, or killed in about two days later. But the family have kept that matchbox all that time. And to, you know, to anyone else, it's a matchbox. The Imperial War Museum isn't going to collect this type of stuff. But it's an important story about the effect on these people. And when we put it up, relatives who had lost touch with the family in Australia found that item, and then they got together. Uh... It's good this. You can tell heart-rending stories. So you can... Well, it probably tells you what happened here. Um, Pictures on a soldier. And that's the bullet hole that killed him. And the person brought them in and we photographed them. It wasn't all gore and doom. Uh, Now, we only ran for two months. uh, And then we... Because we ran out of money and time. So we then shifted it to Flickr. um, And said, look, if you've got any stuff, we can't collect it. But put it on Flickr and... I, I've got a feeling there's two or 3,000 items up there now um, which we, we haven't done any of this and the thing which I think is interesting about Flickr is that you put up a picture like here's a picture of some Ger- German or Austrian soldiers I think and someone says this so you put your picture up and you can comment and then what it has is a, there's an amazing community out there who then add information and this guy obviously knows his helmets that's a pickle halber quite clearly, very, very seriously, he's into helmets, but, um, <laughs> but, again, a serious point, what this meant was that, you know, most times when you're talking about anything, you go to the expert, who's the expert? It's the person in the university, on the museum, the person on TV, but there's actually a hell of a lot of expertise out there in the public, so we're not just getting the material from them, we're tapping into this enthusiasm they do, because they just read about this. So... We got six and a half thousand items in three months, Um, that's higher now, Um, it changes all the time. It cost, to do this, about £3.50 an item, whereas when we were going out to the libraries it was costing £40 an item. And that cost will get lower and lower and lower the more you get, because that was mainly the uploading cost of building the site and everything like that. Um, We were getting a lot of new items, not just items people had seen all the time. Um, again if you go into a museum there's something on display and it might have this is a so and so but how did it get to the museum, where did it come from who brought it there, what was the story behind it and we were getting the stories as well for the items which is quite interesting from a social we had the public and it really was yeah I've never been involved in a project which got so much newspaper radio TV coverage as well Um, when we were doing it Because the local papers really thought this was great. And then when we launched it on November the 11th. um, So as I've already said this. There is expertise out there in the community. You can use it. And then they felt they owned it as well. Which was really good. So when you put it up. It was felt it was owned by the people who put this up. It isn't just for students and staff at universities. So the point is. This is probably the way forward. If you think of like. What consumer devices are going. Mobile phone ownership is probably higher than that. But they all have cameras. We all have digital cameras on our phone, or we carry them around. We're all taking pictures of stuff. We can go and take pictures of stuff if we've probably got flatbed scanners as well. So we don't need the big camera set up as well. So the free workforce is there. Um, and I think we can launch community collections. And I'll come on to how this is changing things slightly. But we're going to try and do something for this project for 2014 for the 100th anniversary of the start of the war but we don't know so out of that why i say this is kind of important is because then the people just then said this is this is a cheap way of doing things um no this is a really good way an effective way of engaging the public in research but this is a cheap way of doing stuff so they've launched calls now and they're offering money for anyone in universities who want to do their own thing it doesn't have to be a, not like the first world war it can be anything uh there was one southampton we're looking at doing student diaries, sort of video diaries of student experience. Um, someone in London wanted to do the, where was it, 1948 Olympics in London? Do a collection, see what yeah, what they collected, people still had. Um, so there's all kinds of things emerging from this because they can see this as a way forward because we can't keep spending 40 to £80 pound an image, you know, and all we're doing, well, not all we're doing, it's very important work, is photographing um, stuff which many people have seen, but that's important. We should still do that. But this is another avenue. Um, so, we've got a project and we're kind of coordinating how to do this. And there's free open source software you can then take, and we'll train you. And you can put it on a machine and do your own thing. And that, I think, is that.